Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 626th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspectives of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com, as well as locally on the New York Red Bulls at Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to the American game. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. So I think as we are always discussing officiating in the game around the world, not just in Major League Soccer, not just in the United Soccer Leagues, NISA, uh, the NPSL, the amateurs, we always talk about what is going on on the pitch? And obviously, we always discuss about the overabundance of basically gamesmanship, the shirt pulling, uh, the ticky tack fouls, those things that are annoying us. And FIFA, of course, has only two cards to give out. A yellow card, or if it's an extreme case, the red card. Now, what they would like to do, and they're probably would, they're going to probably test it and and that is introduce a brand new card called the blue card. Now, why why is it the blue card? Well, what they would like to do, or at least attempt to test out this blue card, um, is something where it's interesting. Where, as you all know, if you're a, a hockey fan, an ice hockey fan, whether it's uh, the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League at the lower levels, the minor leagues, the ECHL, junior hockey, whether you're in the U.S. or in Canada, or even on the uh, bigger rinks in Europe on the international level, including like the Olympics and the International Ice Hockey Federation, what they want to do with the blue card. And apparently, this was used... In the indoor game, because the indoor game was basically a carpet inside of a hockey rink, and if there was a serious foul, then the referee would say or pull out a blue card with a number two on it in white which would have been basically two minutes into the penalty box, just like in an NHL hockey game or in an ice hockey game. And because we have 45 minutes, 
in each half if the blue card gets pulled out on a player on this type of fouling the extreme level is that they're going to sit for 10 minutes away from the game and one side will be down to 10 men for 10 minutes now At this point in time, and reading an ESPN article, that at this point in time, FIFA is suspending the trials for the blue card. Even though they are suspending the trials, let me just say this. And if you've been on social media, whether you're following Taylor Twellman or you've been following um, other soccer announcers, analysts like Hercules Gomez from ESPN, Max Bredos, Steve Cangelosi, Callum Williams, even those are from CBS Sports Galazzo Network from Morning Footy like Susanna Collins and Charlie Davies and Nico Cantor and Alexis Gonzalez. You know, let me just say this. They feel or if you also are listening to former players like Alan Shearer, current managers like Jurgen Klopp, who's still at Liverpool before he decides to say goodbye at the end of the season, uh, the manager at Tottenham Hotspur, he said that this would destroy the game. Now, do I think they should attempt this? Do you think that I believe they should make this attempt for the blue card to be introduced into the referee's books. I'll be fair and I'll be honest. I believe the blue card should not be installed into the referee's books at all. I understand we get sick and tired of the consistent whining and crying at the consistent you know, ticky-tack fouling, uh, the shirt-tugging, the gamesmanship over and over and over, all the diving that's going on. Um, my opinion is this, and I will agree with my friend and my colleague, who's the radio play-by-play voice of LAFC, Dave Denholm, and you can follow him on Twitter or X at, at Talk Soccer. Um, just keep issuing yellow cards until they get the message. Um, I think that's the best deterrent for basically teaching them a lesson. You know, every time we've seen the shirt pulling or the tugging and the the consistent falling down on slight contact, I think the referee should just go ahead and start throwing the yellow cards all over the place. Because if the referees are going to do their jobs properly, I really think they should step it up and say, you know what, I've had enough of this right off the bat. There you go. Now, let me just say this. It should not be in the middle of the year. It should not be towards the end of the year. It should not be uh, a a few games at the start of a year, or into the start of the year, I should say. I think this should be done right off the bat from preseason into the start of the season. And that means 
And I'm not saying you do it when, let's just say you're in the middle of an MLS season in August, and then all of a sudden the Premier League season starts. And then you're going to do it then. No. I think FIFA, what's going to happen is this. I think the Referee Association, along with FIFA and the players and all the player unions across the world, whenever the preseason starts and then the regular season starts for any league, depending on when they start their season, if you are a summer to spring season, or in this case with MLS, you're a winter to fall season, that's when you should start the yellow the over or the abundance of yellow card usage by the referees. Because if you're getting sick and tired of the same old, same old, I look, I'm sick and tired of it myself. I understand some will say, well, this is an art, you know, the, the, the deception and yeah, but it's, it, it's just, it's just overused. It's overdone. And people are starting to get sick and tired of it. I mean, I'm getting sick and tired of it. And if that is the only way to regulate the type of shenanigans that are going on, well, then, you know what, then that's what they got to do. And this is where I keep saying that, you know, you got to give the assistant referees a little more power here to assist to the referee what's going on. I mean, they are wearing the headsets with the microphones. I mean, I know that the main referee and the fourth official are probably talking to the VAR room. But what I'm saying is, is that if you want the officials to get the job done correctly, I think that the assistant referees need a little more power. I'm not saying they have to take over a game. Excuse me. I'm just saying that to help everyone out and to cut off the silliness of a blue card, give assistant referees a little more power, have them talk, have the referee and the assistant referees talk to each other on the microphone a little bit more. More communication is good. And if the fourth official also has to get involved on the microphone, well, then so be it. Because, you know, he's trying to help out the referee who has to not only run to be in a certain position on the left side of the pitch, but he also has to run to be in a better position on the right side of the pitch. Because he has to make sure that he is not on the same side, depending on where the assistant referee is located. If you're going to be on the near side bench and you need the help from the far side assistant, that's great. More conversation. If he needs assistance when he's on the far side of the pitch and the near side assistance there, obviously that's fantastic too. Fourth official must be, you know, as always, watching and seeing. Now, I know that he's got to also talk to the managers because the managers want to talk to him. And I know that's a tough job as well. I think there has to be more communication between the officials all over the place. Pardon me. So, once again, I, I, I think 
the blue card would, would be very you know needless. I know eventually they're going to test it anyway, but if FIFA and the and the and the, and the officiating board, the referee board, the international uh, referee boards uh, want to stamp out and to cut out all the unnecessary situations that are going on, once again, the diving, the shirt pulling, the ticky tack fouling. Honestly, I really think they should just, sh- you know, shoot out, give out more yellow cards. And, you know, we keep seeing, you know, blow the whistle for the foul, off you go. You know, keep on going. Same player, another foul, okay. Third foul, okay, here comes your warning. One more and that's it, it's over. No, it's got to be three strikes and then the yellow card. Or if you really want to go extreme, two strikes, uh, then the yellow card. Or should I say one strike and then yellow card, I should say. If you want to go one, two, no more, do it again for the third time, you get booked? Yes. If you want, if the referee wants to do one, you only get one warning and that's it, boom. Second time, yellow card. That's how you cut it down. That's how you find a way to cut it down. And the players will learn, and the players will understand, and the players will know we can't do this anymore. We have no freedom, no leeway by these referees anymore. And every referee must be on the same page. It, they must – I know they try to follow the laws of the game, but they interpret it differently. They've got to interpret it the same way. Got to be from from one referee to the other to the other to the other to the other across the board. Because if it's not going to be done the proper way, well, guess what? Then we're going to have more chaos than we already have. So once again, do I think a blue card would be important? Uh, a new addition would it work? I honestly think it won't. Uh, as the as the Tom the Hotspur manager has said, and I forgot his name at the moment. It would destroy the game. And he's right. I think it would destroy the game. I think it would ruin it 10 million times over. I think the the blue card idea, it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. But I think it's an idea that cannot be tested and it should not be brought into. Because if it does, I mean, they can test it all they want. But I really believe they should not institute this blue card at all. And honestly, I think it's a waste of time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great... Um, Please leave a message and I'll respond. Oh, and uh, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, as we get ready... As we get ready for the show tonight, joining me, uh, hopefully, as we get ready to go, yep, my first guest tonight, he covers the Chicago Fire for the site called The Lantern, and it's Ruben Tisch joining me tonight. Ruben, good evening, and how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I just finished watching the uh, Fire preseason game against LAFC, and... uh... I have some thoughts, and uh, you are the first person to get them. Go for it, Ruben. Tell us how it went. 
Well, they lost to LAFC, whose preseason is done, by the way, uh, which I find weird. Um, but they looked okay for the first uh, 30 minutes, and then there was like a fitness drop-off that you kind of expect uh, during preseason, especially like the second actual preseason game. The, the games in Florida don't really count. Those are like run around with a soccer ball on the field type stuff. Um, but they looked okay. Uh, they were missing a couple of their new signings. Um, the two big ones in Acosta, who is there and um, on the bench. Um, and it basically is waiting to be announced until uh, the fire can make him squad eligible because there's some eligibility things going on um, with the fire having too many players under contract that is being solved. And Hugo Kuyper's, uh as per the transfer agreement, is not being released until after the 16th when Ghent get their players back from AFCON. Uh, so other than those two is pretty much what I thought. Uh, Tom Barlow is okay. He is what I thought he would be. Uh, the goal they scored in the first half by Fabian Herbers was a nice diving header. Um, Andrew Gutman is a lot better than I thought he was. Oh, is, yes. Is, is the first thing I came to mind. Because I, when the fire played against him, whether he was in New York or in Atlanta or Cincinnati or Colorado, uh, I've never been impressed. I thought he was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems like as he's, you know, he's improved every year and now he's in a place where I can confidently say he was better than Miguel Navarro for whom uh, they traded him to Colorado for. So that's good. No, listen, uh, I got to tell you, Andrew Gutman, uh, when he was on loan from Atlanta to the Red Bulls, uh, he really showed a lot of quality, and I'm glad that he surprised you because uh, he's a damn good wing back, that's for sure. Uh, he'll definitely yeah. bring the ball up. He's got some good scoring capabilities. I think he'll be an excellent addition to the fire on that back line for this upcoming season. But let's talk about that fantastic signing. Uh, Hugo Kuypers joined the Chicago Fire. 12 million deals surpassing what they paid uh, for uh, Shakiri to come over to Chicago two years ago. That was an amazing deal. Yeah. Um, the Fire basically have not had a number nine since Nemanja Nikolic left the squad uh, in 2019. I want to say it was his last season. Maybe. Yeah, because Robert Barrett came in in 2020. They haven't really had like a a, a number nine. Uh, if he gets the ball in the you know by the penalty spot, it's going to go into the back and that the net kind of guy since uh, Nikolic left. Um, some of the rumors that were going around obviously would have been better uh, because I mean Robert Lewandowski is Robert Lewandowski, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if if you can't have a guy like Lewandowski, um, Hugo Kuyper is probably not a name that's going to put butts in seats, but will definitely put goals in the back of the net, which is really what the team needs. Nope, they really do. I mean, that's the. I, I mean, I agree with you. 
the, I really felt the fire was probably lacking uh, not a lot of goals like some of the other clubs were last year. And I mean, would you say the midfield was also an issue for the fire last year? Do you think they finally fixed that issue now that you're bringing over Kellen Acosta? It, it, for me personally, it's hard to say because I am like the one guest on him and as defender in, mm-hmm. in the fire media space, but he definitely lacks defensive instincts that I think Kellen Acosta brings. Uh, Kellen Acosta can play both the six and the eight, whereas Jimenez can only really play the eight, um, you know, pushing pushing forward. He, he, he doesn't – I mean, he can defend when he wants, uh, but, but the problem is you're not going to get 90 minutes of that. Um, with Acosta, you you know he'll he'll be able to drop in behind the other um, you know central midfielder in the double pivot, but he can also push forward and, and you know have a strike uh, from outside the box or, or go on and get himself a goal if he wants to. Um, he'll be good to have another good set piece deliverer because. Brian Gutierrez is still young, even though he's pretty good at it. And Sheridan Shakiri goes from being really good at it to being arguably the worst player in MLS on set piece delivery. Like you, you never know what you're going to get from him, which, you know, you mentioned, you know, $8 million, the second highest paid player in the league. That's not what you want from that kind of player. But uh, Acosta, Acosta will be really good uh, in that role. Um, like I said at the top, there's some uh, roster construction issues that are sort of delaying his announcement. Uh, Jairo Torres was uh, a mutually agreed upon uh, split, so he's going to sign with Juarez in Mexico, it looks like. Uh, and he's gone, so they need to uh, get rid of a couple of more. I think the, the, the rumor in the safe bet is that uh, Arno Suke is going to go over to Lugano mm-hmm. um, because uh, – and they'll use their buyout on Casper uh, Shabilko. Yep. Well, you know. Shabilko, I mean, he did okay in the league last year, and I just, I just feel like maybe uh, he probably needed either uh, somewhere else to go, or who knows, maybe he'll retire. But we'll see what well, happens. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I think he's done. I was gonna say, mm-hmm. I think yeah. he's done. Um, yeah. You know, he just, he just wasn't, he just hasn't been the same player uh, here that he was in Philadelphia, and he never really figured it out. Plus, all his um, injuries don't make it really easy for him. Um, his legs are shot. Uh, he he can't move. Like, he wasn't, you know, the most athletic player to begin with, and now yep. um, his, his knees are bad. And so I, I would expect him to be done at least at, you know, a first division level. Maybe he can find success in USL um, or something like that. But... Um, as far as MLS, unless a team can get him on a minimum deal, I would expect mm-hmm. that he is probably done at the MLS level. 
Yeah, I agree with you there as well, unfortunately. But look, we've got to be realistic about these situations. So uh, anyway, as we move on here, um, were you surprised about Tom Barlow coming over from the Red Bulls to be a part of this? Or do you feel he maybe a change of scenery is going to do him good and maybe he'll finally put in some goals that he was expected to do over in New York? So what I think about Tom Barlow is Tom Barlow is who he is. I think he is a very good defensive forward. Um, he's a guy who so so guys like Tom Barlow and um, Ricardo Pepe, I think has sort of changed the way that I look at the striker position. I'm starting to look at strikers as like pitchers, right? You have your starting striker your starting pitcher who can go give you 65, 70 minutes at 100%, and then you bring in your, your substitute closer. I think Tom Barlow is going to be a very good 20 minutes off the bench, energy, uh, can close out games guy. I don't think he's a starting forward, and I think that's okay. Um, I think that he can come in and press a tired defense, cause a little chaos, and maybe get some goals that way or create chances for his teammates. I don't think he's a starter. I would, I would wager that that is probably how he was in New York. I don't know. I, I didn't get to watch him week in, week out. Um, but from what I've seen of him against the fire and what his numbers tell me, I think that's the kind of guy he is. And if he can be okay with being that kind of role player, he can be very important for this team that has had problems closing out games in the last couple of years. So, uh, Frank Klopas finally uh, returning again full-time as the head coach for the club. What's your thoughts on that? And uh, are you ready for a Klopas ball again? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Um, when, when they made the rehiring of Heinz and Pelter, I understood it because their job is more than the first team and that job isn't done. Their job is the training facility and building up the youth infrastructure, which by the way is going very well. The U-17s, I believe, are undefeated. There's two or three more legitimate professional-level goalkeeping prospects in the system. Um, so the things surrounding the club – that George Heights is in charge of are doing very well. So I understand it from that standpoint. I never thought Frank Klopas was a very good manager. He had the one season in Montreal where they got to like, I, I believe it was the semifinal or the final of the Champions League. But he's always been like a 500 coach. Um, so I... I'm a little worried about that. I, I, I worry that the reason he is hired is because nobody wanted the job, which is where my brain went to. Um, because, because Frank, obviously since he's got the job, he's changed his tune sort of as I, one would expect him to. 
Um, but he was always saying about how he didn't really want to be a head coach. Um, the, the sort of lifestyle and pressure really wasn't for him. Um, but he would do anything to help the club. And, and if they couldn't really hire anybody better, which I personally find hard to believe, but if that is, you know, the case, you might as well uh, hire somebody who loves the club and will, will try everything in their power to leave it in a better spot they find themselves in. So maybe if they continue this project and it continues to improve, we'll get, you know, the top tier, you know, MLS level coach. But, I, yeah. I you know, if they're going to hire Frank, they're they're going to hire Frank. But I'm not enthused about it at all. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's what it is. And, uh, you know, we, we try to predict these things, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But, yep, welcome back to Klopas Ball there, Ruben. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're welcome. No problem. Uh, listen, thanks again for being on tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully the fire will have a better year this year, and uh, and we'll see what happens when they kick off at the end of February. But it should be fun, and uh, I hope to have you back on again during the season, and uh, I am look forward to talk to you again. Hey, thank you. I look forward to talking to you as well. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. Ruben Tish from the Lantern covering uh, the Chicago Fire as they're about to gear up and get ready for their season in 2024. And as we continue on here on the Foyer Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, as we get ready to talk about my next guest in the next club, he covers the Portland Timbers for Cascadia FC, the one and only Jeremy Peterman joining me. Jeremy, welcome back and how are you? Oh, it is great. It is great. What a game last night. How about that? Almost double oh, overtime know, right? in the Super Bowl. Exactly. Exactly. Ooh. Unfortunately, it's not our team. Uh, but uh, hopefully uh, 2024 will make the playoffs. So let's hope for that one. But anyway, the Portland Timbers uh, getting ready uh, during their preseason. I believe they're involved in the Coachella Valley and, uh, International Tournament, Invitational Tournament. And uh, how have they looked so far in preseason? It's been very interesting preseason so far. Um, the one thing that's really impressed me has been um, new manager Phil Neville and um, his ability to seemingly connect with a lot of the locker room already. And a lot of that has to do with the key off-season signings that we have brought in. Um, Maxime Crepeau, goalkeeper as a free agent, brought him in from LAFC. Uh, Kamal Miller, traded with Inter-Miami to get him. Uh, Both of those players have experience working with Phil Neville, um, either in Miami when Neville was still there with Kamal Miller or uh, during his brief stint with the Canadian men's national team as an assistant. So he's already brought in two key players for us, uh, both with connections to him. And they've settled in very well already. And it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see how the Timbers, who were horrific defensively last year in a lot of different metrics, um, now with two huge upgrades to keep spots in that defense, uh, how that defense is going to run this year. But 
as mm-hmm. of right now, based on based on how Phil Neville has been uh, able to galvanize the team, um, you can just see a lot more. It, it just seems like the atmosphere is lighter, lighter during training. Um, obviously, the season hasn't started yet, but lighter in the locker room after what was a pretty dismal 2023. So um, I'm just really impressed with how together the team seems to be at this point. What do you think Miles Joseph didn't do or could have done enough to keep the job? Or do you feel that maybe ownership wanted a fresh restart no matter what? This has been a contentious debate over the offseason since Neville was hired. Because personally, if I was one of the decision makers, based on uh, Joseph's end-of-year run, which took the Timbers from very, very, very far away from the playoffs to right back in there, um, both in terms of the results and how they were playing on the field, because you don't have to play well on the field to get good results sometimes. But um, the way that Miles Joseph was able to energize the locker room, specifically with what he was doing differently on the field, I thought it gave him a leg up in the chance to take the permanent job. Uh, When the Neville hire was announced, a lot of fans were very upset with it for many various reasons. His past tweets from 10 years ago, his – his frankly unimpressive managerial record at Miami. But um, when I was like really thinking about and comparing Neville to Joseph, I, it just seems to me that the, the Timbers front office said, this is a new era. The past two seasons we have missed the playoffs right after losing an MLS cup at home. And they said, it's time for a reset. Um, and Neville is going to be the face of that reset alongside the players who he's brought in. So while my heart doesn't really like the decision, I love Miles Joseph. I think he's a great guy, and he did leave for Charlotte becoming an associate head coach there. I I do wish him all the best, and I do think he might have gotten cheated a little bit. Um, I'm buying more and more into Neville the more I see the team work in training and especially in that preseason game. I thought they had a very, very, very solid opening preseason game, a one, one draw with NYCFC. Do you feel that the Timbers got the best luck in the world to, to make uh, this deal with Maxime Cripo because LAFC brought over Hugo Lloris from Tottenham? I mean, to me, I mean, I think I believe Crepeau is definitely a big-time goalkeeper in this league. He's definitely going to be a part of the Canadian men's national team. I think he'll be probably in goal starting for the World Cup. I feel right now you, the Timbers, have a leg up right now in the Western Conference to make a playoff spot. First of all, playoffs should be the bare minimum this year with this roster. Playoffs should have been the bare minimum last year with this roster. And now when you upgrade the goalkeeping position, which I put uh, at the end of the season, I looked at all the positions that we have, all the, all the players on the roster, and what positions look the weakest. Goalkeeper was the weakest by far. Uh, I'm going to throw a little stat out there for you. The Timbers conceded 58 goals in MLS play last year. And their XG conceded 
was 47. So they allowed 11 more goals than they were expected to concede. And if there are, if they can even cut four goals off of that 11 with just some decent goalkeeping, that's a playoff team. Uh, obviously, there are a bunch of other things besides the goalkeeping that made the Timbers miss the playoffs. But the goalkeeping for me was the number one thing they had to do this offseason. Now, before Cripo got, um, before the Cripo signing was announced, the Timbers did sign two additional goalkeepers. They signed Trey Moose from uh, USL Charleston Battery, and they signed another free agent, James Pantemis, from CF Montreal. Uh, two pretty good options. Uh, I would have been fine with Pantemis starting, but once Kripo became available, it became a matter to the Timbers front office of, you have to get this guy in, no matter what. We don't know the numbers on his contract yet, but I assume that they're above the senior maximum. So he is definitely in the TAM range, which I think he's worth. He is an unbelievably good goalkeeper. And he was able to recover from that broken leg that he suffered in the 2022 MLS Cup final. And he was he came back. Yes, he he missed the World Cup in Qatar, but um, based on his performances since he came back, he's still a top 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 goalkeeper in this league. And general manager Ned Grabavoy knew that the second he became available, he had to go get him. What's it like no longer having both Sebastian Blanco on the club as well as Yimmy Chara? They both have moved on. Blanco is the one that is really going to hurt more for Timbers fans. He has been an emotional beacon. He has been a dynamic player. Uh, He is definitely someone who will go in the Timbers ring of honor uh, once his time comes. He, He is that caliber of player. So entering this season without Sebastian Blanco, which will be the first one since 2016, that he's not a member of the Portland Timbers uh, is going to be very, 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 um, it, it hurts for some, but at the end of the day, um, his, his time had come and he's returned to Argentina. He's playing for San Lorenzo. And uh, honestly, we, we do wish him the best. Um, Jimmy Char, on the other hand, designated player and someone who over the four seasons he was here didn't live up to that DP tag as much as Timbers fans would have hoped. Yes, he gave us all the effort whenever he would step on the pitch, certainly one of the hardest working players of the club. But at the same time, if you're going to be a DP, you need to score goals and you need to assist goals. And Jimmy Char's numbers in the counting stats categories were not high enough for him to justify that DP slot. He was out of contract. He would have been out of contract at the end of the season anyway. So the Timbers made the, in my mind, correct move to move on from him, sending him back to a club, uh, Junior FC in Columbia, where he's actually doing pretty well right now. So we're still rooting for him. But the most important thing that those two departures uh, allowed is a lot more flexibility with the salary cap and an open senior DP slot which the club desperately needs. No, absolutely. And hopefully they can still make some moves here. Still, the transfer window is open for MLS still, so we'll see what happens uh, as the preseason goes along. 
I, I know it's early. I, I know we're still in the preseason. Like I said, you know, the club's at the Coachella uh, Valley Invitational Tournament right now to finish up their preseason. And even though Phil Neville, I, I know we've talked off air, you weren't really big on the hire, but what do you think in your mind maybe has changed your stance on him from his time with Inter Miami and at the same time his little stint with the Canadian national team? I think more time has just been put between the initial announcement of his hire and actually seeing him work with the team. I did, the, this is really hard, but I think he did, looking back on it, I think he did a pretty good job at Miami given the restrictions that were placed, on, placed around their roster. So um, he's someone who does understand MLS really well. He's obviously connecting with the players pretty well. And he's willing to um, – I, I think he's willing to be a little bit more uh, flexible in terms of how he approaches games. And Timbers fans for the past 10 years have been used to the same style of soccer where we want to sit back, absorb pressure, and then just run, 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 run on the counter and just play solid but not really spectacular counterattacking football. Now, yep. that's starting to get old after seeing 10 years of it across two different managerial stints. Both Caleb Porter and Giovanni Savarese employed those tactics. So Timbers fans are just wanting to see a different kind of soccer that the team plays. And that's one of the reasons why Miles Joseph's brief tenure was very, very, very uh, impactful for a lot of us Timbers fans. Not only was the team winning, but they were actively pressing and not sitting back. They wanted the ball. They wanted to be ball dominant. They played out of the back a lot. And they utilized the wings in effective ways. Uh, the problem was is they uh, the the one fatal flaw of those Joseph teams was that they were able to get oftentimes they were completely overexposed in the counter. But Neville has shown flexibility um, in some training sessions. He's worked with a back three, other ones he's working with a back four, and he's just trying to figure out how the pieces best fit. And there's still a bunch of competition for starting roles on this roster, particularly at center back. So I'm just very, very, very interested to see what he's going to do this year. I think he does have a playoff mandate on him, but that's more due to just the quality of talent on this roster and the potential uh, addition of two DPs that could turn this already playoff quality roster into a possible cup winning one. Yeah, I think right now, I think the Timbers are probably uh, looking like they're going to have a good start to the 2024 season. Hopefully, everyone will still be intact and ready to go. What do you think about this Western Conference right now? I mean, I know it's still early, it's still preseason, but your thoughts, if you don't mind. I mean, do you feel the Timbers are going to be in the mix here, or do you feel that uh, this Western Conference is going to be a little bit more looser or tougher? Based on the additions that I have seen some teams make and based on the additions that we've made, I think this roster is top seven in the West, which is uh, a playoff spot that 
is not the single off wild card game, which is a place where we should be. Um, however, a lot of Western Conference teams, especially those at the top like LAFC, Seattle, they have been uh, they've been losing a couple of those key players. Like Seattle's going to miss Nico Ladero for the first time in a very, very, very long time. Uh, someone comparable to Blanco, but not as good. Um, had to get that in. Um, LAFC, they don't have Carlos Vela this year. Uh, Buwanga still, we don't really know his status. He could be leaving in the summer. But LAFC, does. they do have a lot of open roster spots. And a lot of other teams haven't really strengthened as much. I do like what FC Dallas has done over this window. I think they, but they were already top five in my mind. So they were probably pushing to that top three. Uh, St. Louis won the West by completely outperforming their XG. So I'm anticipating a step back from them kind of like Austin did last year, but I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs entirely like Austin did. Uh, The galaxy are massively improved. So I think they're top seven as well. Um, The biggest issue with the West last year is that we just kept eating ourselves. Every team would just – it just became a big old circle of suck, except for St. Louis, who just high-pressed their way to the top spot, and Seattle to an extent, who just rode the league's best defense to the top spot. So the, the Timbers are getting stronger defensively, which was our biggest issue last year. And we have a bunch of returning players. There aren't really any outgoing departures that are troublesome uh, in terms of like, oh, no, 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 no. Like we can't lose those players. Every single player who has left the club in this offseason are players that the team could technically afford to lose. But for the preseason, um, there's been a massive hole created at left back following two surgeries uh, one for Claudio Bravo and one for Marvin Luria, who could have started at a left wing back spot uh, if he was still healthy. So now the Timbers are down to Eric Miller at left back and uh, possible um, players from the next pro team to back him up. So there's a, there's a serious chance we go into the start of the season without a starting left back, which does tamper the expectations a little bit for how we're going to start the season. But at the same time, this roster is good enough to finish top five in the West. And according to the players, Phil has Phil Neville has said that they want to finish top four this year. And I believe that they can easily do that if uh, if those DP signings come quickly and if they're able to gel with the team. Absolutely. And we'll see what happens in this upcoming season. And it's going to start in a couple of weeks. But Jeremy, thank you as always uh, for giving me uh, insight on the Timbers. Hope to have you back on again during the season and enjoy it, my friend. And uh, hopefully uh, when the uh, fall starts to come, of course, we'll talk about that other football because we are big, loyal New York Jets fans, my friends. So it's going to be exciting. Talk to you during the season. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Great talking to you, Daniel. Have a great night. Thank you. Jeremy Peterman, Cascadia FC. Of course, join him with Michael Martinez covering the Seattle Sounders as well. And, of course, Vancouver Whitecaps in the Cascadia region of the Pacific Northwest in the United States and Canada. Uh, and before we say goodnight, um, 
I want to thank everyone for reading my articles over at Beyond the 90 on, once again, it's beyondthe90.substack.com is, you know, keeping track of what's going on, not just in Major League Soccer, not just in Soccer United States, but of course, soccer in this region of CONCACAF. I appreciate all of you reading my articles, uh, that you like my articles, you leave comments for my articles. Very, very happy about that and cannot wait to talk more about this. Of course, my next article coming up and uh, just wait for it when it comes out. And of course, I'll post it once again on Beyond the 90 uh, from Carter Krishnar as well. I'll be leaving uh, links at Twitter or X because it marks the spot. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, the second leg for the Liga MX teams and the two Canadian sides, Hamilton Forge and the Vancouver Whitecaps, for the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup first round second leg matches. And this Friday, we will have the second leg review with my guests, which once again will be Michael McCall from Away From the Numbers, Alexander Gongay-Ruzik from One Soccer, and of course, Charlie Assam from FMF, State of Mind of SB Nation. And then the following two Fridays, we will have my friends covering their MLS teams. And once again, Mr. Gongay-Ruzik uh, covering uh, Cavalry uh, FC. Uh, once again uh, from the Canadian Premier League as they'll get involved with the CONCACAF Champions Cup. But I want to thank my guests tonight once again, Ruben Tisch from the Lantern covering the Chicago Fire and once again, Jeremy Peterman from Cascadia FC on the Portland Timbers. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight and hopefully... Join me again next week. We'll have Carter Krishnar on to talk about, yes, more MLS shenanigans trying to get out of the U.S. Open Cup. Once again, thank you for listening to me tonight. Have a good evening, and as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.